0: Welcome, those of you that like sports. This is What's Up, Doc? Episode 18, also part two, because we lost both 17 and 18 last week, and so, you know, we missed out on a week. We hope you had you took that time to catch up on episodes. Uh, but I'm your host, Nick Dockweiler, joined by uh, co-host Dan Driscoll, and John Michael's still on his cruise, but we still have Alex, Picho, Pichardo, uh, Joseph Alex. I don't know. I gave you all the nicknames last time. I'm going to give them again this time, but we call you Picho. Uh, And so we're excited to have you for this one. We just finished up our baseball talk, and so how are you feeling, guys?
1: Feeling good, yeah. I would like for it to be known that I'm not only a baseball guy, though. I know a lot more about baseball than I do the other sports, but I can still contribute to what we're talking about today.
0: That's right, that's right, and that's why we have you on for this episode too, Picho. Dan, how are you feeling?
2: I'm feeling great. TJ Watt signed a baby at camp. You know, this is just a sweet time of year where, you know, football's right around the corner. Yeah, and the
0: Steelers um, had a great fight at camp. You know, that's always a good team build, what you, bonding okay, experience. first
2: off, you saw a video. You sent it to me out of context. Oh, turmoil and <laughs> Literally, Mike Tomlin got in the middle of it. It's Joey Porter Jr., who's a dog, and George Pickens, also a dog. You don't think two dogs are going to get into a fight if you leave them, like, in a cage? Come on, man. Look,
0: all I know is there's no issues in Miami. And two yeah, throwing. Jalen Ramsey getting hurt. Yeah, and we I signed mean, Eli Apple.
2: Yeah, breaking news. Oh, Eli, Eli. Yeah, Apple. That's right.
0: All right. Uh, I'm feeling good. We're gonna talk, we're gonna talk some football. We're gonna actually uh, again go into the lost files and talk a little bit of running back talk that we uh, lost. But we're also gonna talk Women's World Cup, which unfortunately we haven't covered because again, we lost it. But I'm excited. We're gonna jump into it. Alright, so uh, i would like to start with the women's world cup because it doesn't get as much love as the NFL does for the entire year. I mean, it's, it's once every four year event, but uh, look, there are some interesting, interesting things going on. Now these games, if you're not aware, if you are not up to date with your women's world cup happen at not the best times it's taking place in Australia and New Zealand. So it's halfway across the world. They're they're 14 hours ahead of us in the East coast. Um, So the games either happen at like 5. AM or 7. AM. So, you know, if you're an early riser like I am, you can wake up and watch a quiet game of soccer and it's great. Or there are late games, you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Um, and so what I would like to do is I'm going to uh, kind of go over. There are four groups. We've played through two matches in every group. So um, some groups are decided and so we're not going to really cover them. But there are four groups that are very open, uh, a couple that are shockingly open. And so uh, I kind of want to jump into them. Dan, did you want to bring something up first? I saw a hand raised. No. OK, that was just me. Um seeing things but uh let me let me start with group a so group a and group b both have the host nations in it uh it's what they do with the world cup they take the uh host nations and they allow them to be in the first two groups so that they're always playing on like the first days of the world cup um you know kind of give their home uh their home people something to root for and be around and kind of build up the hype for the world cup but we're in an interesting spot because both New Zealand and Australia are in a position where they might not move on to the knockout stage. Now, I know uh, it's very rare, at least on the men's side, for a home country, a, home, a hosting country, to not move on to at least the knockout stages. Um, I think it's a little less rare in—actually, I don't think it's as rare. Uh, it's still pretty rare in women's soccer, actually, because most of the host countries have uh, have been fairly good teams. Uh, and so Australia is really the one to look at here. Now, New Zealand, uh, I believe is a good team, um, but unfortunately for them, they play the team that's ahead of them in their group in Switzerland. Uh, and so that really leaves an opening that really leaves an opening for the Philippines who have kind of been a shock at this world cup. Um, no one expected the Philippines to have taken a game off New Zealand like they did. Um, and now if the Philippines get a game against Norway, who's sitting at the bottom of the group and who potentially potentially Uh, who actually control their own fate. Since they play the bottom team, if they win, they're through. And then the winner of New Zealand and Switzerland uh, would determine who moves on out of those two teams. And so New Zealand's kind of in a tough spot. They're playing a team that, as far as FIFA rankings go, is ahead of them. Um, You know, it would be sad to watch them uh, bow out before they get to kind of move on to that knockout stage. Um, But if I'm being honest, things don't look good for them. And to kind of go hand-in-hand with that, Australia, now this is probably the shock of the World Cup. This is, if you watch the Men's World Cup back in December, this is like the Moroccan team um, doing what they did on the men's side. Nigeria is leading Group B. Uh, Nobody thought Nigeria would be in this position. Nigeria tied Canada, who's a top-10 team in the world, and then they beat Australia, who's also a top, I believe they're also a top-10 team in the world. Um, and Nigeria, I believe, coming into this was uh, ranked somewhere in the 20 to 30 range. So they were one of the um, one of the lower ranked teams coming into the World Cup. And to, to finish it off, they finish off their group play against the Republic of Ireland, who have lost both of their games. And so uh, Nigeria looks pretty handily like they're going to go through. And then that creates issue for Australia, because Australia plays Canada, who is ranked higher than them. And their only way to move on is to beat Canada. Um, And so one of Canada and Australia are not going to move through. And so it's really sad to kind of see two host teams uh, potentially bow out. Uh, You know, they, you know, a World Cup only happens once every four years. And you very rarely get to play in front of your hometown team or your like crowd, your home people Um, and so I feel bad for them. I kind of, you know, it makes me want to root for Australia, uh, and New Zealand to win those games, but man, they are fighting an uphill battle. Uh, have you guys watched any of the games from these two groups?
2: Um, no, not, not these two groups.
0: Okay. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, let me tell you this Nigerian team, before I move on to the other two groups that are, uh, to keep your eyes on, um, man, they play with so much heart and soul. Uh, you know, the fact that they, uh, that they tied against Canada was an accomplishment. And then they went on and they beat Australia pretty handily. I believe it was, uh, it might've only been one Oh, I thought it was, uh, something better than that. Their goal but, deficits only one. So yeah, I assume that it might've been 1-0. two, it might've been two, two nothing actually when they beat Australia or yeah, I can't fully remember what the score was, but I can tell you that it was a, it was a pretty, uh, uh, deciding game, three to two, uh, three to two. Okay. So yeah, so they, Uh, did Australia? Yeah. I think they scored a late. I can't remember now, but either way, this Nigerian team has shown that they, that they fight uh, and they are a really well run team. Um, So it's exciting. I'm excited to see who they have to play uh, in the group, in the knockout stages. Since again, it it looks pretty handily that they're going to go through. Uh, Now let's go to the one that uh, affects us as United States people. uh, And that's group E. So, if you've been paying attention, the U.S. Uh, beat Vietnam. They won three uh, nothing. It should have been probably a much bigger win. Uh, unfortunately, they you know kind of let that last third of attacking kind of slip through their hands. Missed out on a lot of opportunities, and then they played the Netherlands and played a one-one tie in a game where they probably should have lost. If we're being honest, um, watching the game, they looked they looked out um, outclassed as far as coaching wise. Uh, you know, they looked a little bit lost. They didn't really get a lot of momentum throughout the game. They didn't have the possession, which I know is really big for our women's soccer team. And so now they play a game against Portugal, where is you know the U.S. is the best-ranked team in the in the World Cup, um, but they're playing a Portugal side that has nothing to lose, and the U.S. have everything to lose. If they lose this game, uh, and barring a, a crazy Vietnam victory, which could happen but is very unlikely the U.S. women team would be knocked out of this World Cup. And so, you know, it, they haven't looked great. And this is, this is like their moment, I feel at least, that they need to put on a show and win this game very decisively, you know, get a couple goals early, make it look like Portugal doesn't have a chance, uh, and then just try to bury them because they really want to win this group. Um, have you guys watched the U.S. play at least?
2: Yeah, I've yeah. been really disappointed. Um, to be honest, I mean, you look at a game in Vietnam where they played pretty much the entire time on the you know on the off you know the offensive side of midfield. Didn't really have to play any defense. I mean, there were a couple of you know long ball prayers that were you know easily snuffed out. But then you play against the Netherlands, who looked so much crisper, just in their tight passing, especially in the first half. Um, it got a little bit better as the game progressed. But um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Nick. I think Portugal. Like, I love Portugal spot if, if I'm a Portuguese fan. Um, I, I think Goliath has to fall eventually um, and this is the perfect time for it. We've seen it happen at, time and time again in sports. Um, you know a team that has just been so dominant over you know we, we're talking about three World Cups now, something that's yeah. never been done. like they don't have anything to lose and that's terrifying as a United States supporter. Um, they have to they have to score early. Um, their young talent has to step up. Um, you know, they don't have as much experience. The the leadership in the locker room has to step up and, you know, kind of calm the nerves. But I can only imagine that, you know, the young girls that are there are probably terrified. And this is, you know, everyone wants to see the U.S. lose, even John Michael. So it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's a little terrifying. Um, we can hope for the best here. Um, and, you know, there are many other teams right now that are playing really well. Um, so it, it's kind of, Win in advance, hopefully, in the group, and then see what happens in the knockout stage. But we got to take care of business on that. Uh, is it Tuesday? The game is?
0: Yeah. So the game's Tuesday, but I believe it's at 3 a.m. So it's a very early game, unfortunately. Ah. Again, because of the time change, it's a 5 p.m. game in Australia. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, like it's a 3 a.m. game for us. um And, you know, the nice part about the first two games was that they were late at night for, I mean, for us, it was like nine and 10 o'clock start time. So, You had to stay up a little bit if you wanted to watch them, but you could actually watch them. Um, Now I might, I might get up and watch them if I'm being honest. Uh, Oh Heck yeah. Why not? It's a game that we have to have. uh, Again, I think the, the U S really have everything to lose in the port and Portuguese. Like you said, it's a spot I'd love to be in. If I'm the undergrad, I have undergrad underdog. Uh, I have everything to gain and nothing to lose. If Portugal lose this game, no one's shocked. If they win this game, the U S is most likely out of the world cup and they just did something remarkable. Um, and I can't help, but feel like, you know, I don't want to say it, but I just can't help, but feel like, man, uh, the U S might be out. And, and the thing is this episode comes out Thursday. So by the time this comes out, the U S might've lost and that would be crazy. Um, but here's what I will say. If the U S win this game, uh, barring, uh, then the Dutch pouring it on against Vietnam and Vietnam's a pretty, um, a pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like respectable country where they're not going to just let like lo- lie down and die. If you get a couple of early goals on them. I mean, we saw yeah. when we played them, we got a, we got an early goal and we didn't get the, the second one until just before the half and the third one later on, but it wasn't like the, the the floodgates opened and the scoring just poured on. Um, and so this is, this is a proud team. Uh, so barring the, the Dutch kind of pouring it on against them, you know, the U.S. Uh, will win the group. And that is great because if they win the group, that means that we get to watch the round of 16 game, which is a 10 p.m. game. I don't know what day, um, but I know it's at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And then we get to watch their quarterfinal game, which is a 9 p.m. game. And I prefer that because if they come in second place in their group, if the Dutch do find a way to pour it on against Vietnam and we don't necessarily win the closest of game or the we don't have as big of a win as we're hoping for against Portugal. Uh, Our round of 16 game, I believe is at 5 a.m. And then our quarterfinal game, I believe is at 3 a.m. Again, I don't know exactly the days, but it makes it harder to watch as a fan. So I'm really hoping that we pull it off against Portugal, um, get these wins, these wins in. Uh, And then finally, the last group, before we kind of move off World Cup stuff, is uh Jamaica? It's Group F. Right? I was so, hoping
2: we were going to talk yeah, about Group because F because this,
0: and I just saw it today, so that's part of the reason I want to talk about it. But <laughs> Group F is is uh, someone's not making it through, and I mean not necessarily, but you know Brazil is in a spot that I don't think they've ever been in as far as soccer goes. Um, if you're if you're not aware, Group F, France is in first. France uh, just beat Brazil uh, today. Uh, Jamaica is in second and then Brazil's in third and Panama is in last. Now, unfortunately Panama can't do anything to affect themselves, but the game to watch in this group is Jamaica and Brazil. That game uh, is going to be feisty. It's going to be a game where both teams have something on the line. Jamaica just has to play for a tie. They don't even have to play to win the game. Um, If they tie Brazil, they move on. The only way that they don't move on is if Brazil beats them. Um, And, even if Brazil beats them, if Panama were to somehow come out and and score a bunch of goals against France, Jamaica could still find their way through. Um, but in reality, it, it's just such an interesting group. It's another one of those groups where Jamaica has everything to gain and Brazil has everything to lose. Brazil, like the weight of World Cup, you know, success is on their soul their shoulders. I actually don't know if the I don't know or I don't think uh, the women's side of Brazil have particularly they normally make it out of their group, but they don't necessarily make it far. Um, and so this would just be like another setback for the, the women Brazil soccer team. Um, but man, what it would do for Jamaica would be so cool. Um, you talk about a country that uh, if we're being honest, doesn't really uh, put the resources into their women's uh, national team. And so, you know, to just kind of say like, Hey, even though we don't get the best treatment and we don't necessarily get the right compensation for what we do, we're going to go out and show why we should. Uh, and, and find a way to either win the group if, if something happens with France or just to take Brazil out, which would be crazy. Um, and so, you know, really exciting thing. Because I'm not from Brazil, I'm 100% brooding for Jamaica to find a way to either tie or win this game. Uh, again, I don't know when that, that game is going to be. I want to say either Wednesday or Thursday. It might be the day this podcast comes out. Um, but, man, just another group. That is so interesting. Did you watch any of the games today, Dan? No,
2: yeah. I So I watched the Jamaica game. Um, Jamaica had never won a World Cup game until yep. today, which is wild. They did it without their best player who was suspended. I don't yep. know why she was suspended, but she red wasn't guard. playing. Yeah. Um, so I – oh, Red guard. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but to have like – I mean, yeah, Panama is not necessarily a juggernaut, um, but that game was wild. It went late. Um, there was a handball that would have been in Jamaica's favor, anyways. That was nullified. I have no idea why. Um, and there was like a couple of um, you know corner kicks at the end. It was really exciting. And to talk about a, a country that has never, talk they've never been in this position. They've never won a freaking World Cup game, and they're about to. You know, they could potentially um, advance. I mean, they could win their group, of course. But um, what a great story. I mean, this is why um, I love the world cup in general, because some of these smaller countries, you know, we talk about small market baseball teams. Like this is the Pittsburgh pirates of the women's of women's soccer. So go Jamaica. Um, I hope they, you know, win by five. Um, it, Yeah. Anyways,
0: <laughs> that's right. But yeah, Dan, to your point, it, it's a, it's a fun time. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm rooting for Jamaica. I'm excited. This world cup has been great. Uh, you know, it just reminds me again, why, uh, you know, soccer is such a fun sport. And, you know, it just kind of feels like it's just waiting to boom in this country, if I'm being honest. And the, you know, I don't want to get too hopeful, but with the fact that we have a world cup in a couple of years, which I know I say on this podcast a lot, um, but we have a world cup in a couple of years and with Messi coming to enter Miami and kind of like bringing eyes to soccer in this country, it it gets me really excited for what the future could look like of soccer in America. Um, And so with that, you know, I'm just going to kind of leave it there unless there's any other groups you want to talk about. There are some good games, if I'm being honest, if you look at the groups. um, But those groups are either the top two teams are decided or there's like a middle team, but it kind of just depends on what happens.
2: Yeah, Um, no. I mean, obviously Ireland. I mean, Ireland is another one that's kind of been lackluster in that group B. um, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I they've covered everything. Ireland's like played well, but can't really do anything. And the only group that we still don't really know what's happening with is, is group H because of when we're recording this. Um, so they've all only played right. one match. So that could be interesting if, you know, Morocco or South Korea find a way to get a win over Germany or Colombia. Um Group G is kind of open for second place. You know, Italy, South Africa and Argentina are all fighting for second place. Sweden's kind of locked that group up as far as winning it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, the second spot is definitely open in that group. Um, especially, uh, you know, an eye to keep on, if you are paying attention to, to other groups outside of the U S group, uh, would be South Africa. You know, they had a lead over Sweden, uh, unfortunately gave up a couple of last minute goals to Sweden. And so they, they ended up losing, but you know, there's nothing they could do about it. They were, they were playing a better team, um, and just couldn't hold on. But, you know, those are the groups that I'd, I'd say, keep an eye out for. Uh, but with that, we're going to go from, from football to uh, football. And uh, what a great transition. You're just a class act. I, you know, I'm feeling it today. And, you know, it's probably cause you guys are, uh, you know, p- pumping me up. And so we, uh, again, had this conversation about running backs. Uh, we did rank our running backs and I, to my dismay, did leave Jonathan Taylor off my list. And rather than kind of go back and give our list, um, we're just going to have Peach give a list. Uh, and then Dan and I are going to kind of say how we feel about his, his top 10 running backs list. And, you know, we'll kind of get into some of the contract, uh, negotiations that are going on there, but yeah. Tell us Picho, yeah, so what's your top 10 running backs? Number
1: one, I got Christian McCaffrey. Of course, that's assuming that he's healthy because when he's not healthy, he's not even on the field. Number two, I have Derrick Henry and it could be a Jag- Jaguars bias that has an eye turned towards Tennessee the entire time. He's not amazing catching the ball out of the backfield, but in the I formation, he is terrifying. And being in the same division as he is, playing him twice a year, I have him at number two because I'm I'm terrified of watching uh, our defensive line stacked with people who are over six five get run over by somebody who is six foot one, six foot two. True. Yeah. Um, At three, I got Nick Chubb, who played high school football like two hours south of Jacksonville, north of Jacksonville. He was in Yulee, and let me just Nick Chubb, you said? uh, No, no, Derrick Henry. And uh, my high school actually did play Yulee. Of course, it was before we got there, but that footage of him running over high schoolers is—it's disgusting, and and it's why he's at number two. It's because he's that same man. He has the same mentality. He runs over grown men like they're high schoolers. And he's in the same division as the Jags, so that's why my eye is towards him. Uh, but I did say at number three, I got Nick Chubb uh, for consistency's sake. I don't think Nick Chubb has had a bad year. Uh, and I think there's always a little overreaction to videos that are posted online of players over the offseason training and getting ready. But squatting over 600 pounds on a bended uh, bar is pretty impressive so i got nick chubb at number three um i happen to remember jonathan taylor so i have him at number four uh of course he is in indianapolis and he was hurt (laughs) last year uh but i do have him at number four because when healthy uh when on pace to eclipse that thousand yard mark he's a dangerous man again possibly my jacksonville jaguars bias playing in here but I got to play Derek Henry twice and I got to play Jonathan Taylor twice. And I'm not looking forward to those four games. It's fair at five. I got Josh Jacobs. Of course, that's considering the fact that he's under contract and shows up. And I know so clearly there are some issues with me having Josh Jacobs as high as I do, but again, when healthy when on pace to eclipse that thousand yard mark and under contract, he's a dangerous man considering the amount of load he's going to have to take on with Jimmy Garoppolo as quarterback over there in Las Vegas, I don't see myself easily passing over him in any fantasy league that I'm in just because of the amount of checkdowns that Garoppolo does throw. Uh, And I mean, over in San Francisco, it seemed like they were relying on Debo Samuel uh, pretty often to carry the ball upfield because Garoppolo isn't a downfield passer or not the same downfield passer that he was pre-injury so i got josh jacobs ranked possibly a little high but also uh, i'm expecting a big year from him at six i have austin eckler this is a guy that i wanted to put higher, but i couldn't find room for him it's a name i know it's a guy yeah. you should have put him higher <laughs> when compared to the other people on the list in front of him i don't see him as as stand out as the other people are i mean he's he's gonna carry uh but i i mean under josh jacobs i'm expecting a, a normal year from austin eckler at seven is where my jacksonville jaguars bias plays in a lot because i have travis etn <laughs> I don't think you find a better running back who oh, passes out of the backfield. In any PPR league, you need to pick up Travis Etienne. Lawrence is going to be throwing the ball to him a lot. Calvin Ridley is back on the team, so people are going to be covering Calvin Ridley primarily. I don't trust Zay Jones and Christian Kirk to pick up the load a second straight year. I'm looking <laughs> at Travis Etienne expecting him to have a big year. Now, he is injury-prone, which is why, of course, I bumped him down from being number one. But he's at seven. My <laughs> bias is still playing in, but it's no worse than Nick's Miami bias. At eight, I have whoa, whoa, Saquon Barkley. All right, don't take shots at Miami. <laughs> okay, all right. Eight is healthy Saquon Barkley. Um, it, he only took, what was it, an extra $1.2 million to sign a deal uh, of course, we'll get into contract stuff later. But a healthy yeah, we'll talk about that. makes no a sense. A healthy Saquon Barkley is eight. Of course, I look at the disparity in quad size between Barkley at eight and ETN at seven. And now I'm thinking I should have put Saquon higher. But we're gonna leave ETN at seven because he deserves it. <laughs> at nine, I got Tony Pollard. When he's used correctly, Tony Pollard in an offense that does not support him—it's fair—and allows. Dak Prescott to throw 108 picks this year is not him being used correctly. Tony Pollard can't (laughs) carry that team when he's used correctly. And at 10, I, I looked at a couple lists to compile this list and I did not see Alvin Kamara crack the top 10 often. I think that guy is still super productive out of the backfield, which is why I got him at 10. I'm looking to picking up. Uh, I'm looking to pick him up in my fantasy league, just because of the production that he brings out of the backfield and uh, a reception uh, standpoint. But that's my top ten list. Have problems if you do, uh, but go Jags.
0: Yeah. Hey, look. I I like your list. I, I had a lot. Everyone in my top ten, besides your final two, I had Dalvin and Aaron Jones in there. Um, I had Dalvin a little higher. I had Travis Etienne at number 10. Um, I also didn't have Jonathan Taylor on the list, but I added him in. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I had Austin Eckler higher. I think what Austin Eckler does on both, like he's both a great running back and a great receiving back. Um, so I had him up at number four. I also love the guy because he cares about his fantasy owners. If you draft him this year, if you're listening to this podcast, you draft Austin Eckler. Uh, normally he does a giveaway. If you uh, win the week and you you screenshot it and tweet it at him, he puts you in a little drawing. He can, you can get an assigned Jersey of him. So, uh, I tried it every week that I won. I won a lot of weeks that, that year. I unfortunately did not win the Jersey, but you know, every year I aspire to draft Austin Eckler. So yeah, that's about it. I really like your list though. It's good. Um, Dan, anything you want to add? I think me and you had pretty similar lists, so
2: you're muted. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I had to deal with the dog. Um, no, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really liked your list, Picho. Um, I love the Jags bias. I went to high school in Jacksonville. Um, so I can definitely appreciate uh, having ETN up there. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Eckler was the one standout for me, for sure. I, I had Eckler pretty high. I think it's hard to argue. Um, you know, obviously when used correctly, I, I think his his pack his catching out of the backfield Um, is really unique. I don't think anyone catches more balls out of the backfield than him. Maybe Christian McCaffrey, but it's close. Um, So, I mean, maybe Etienne, you know, goes toe-to-toe with him. I don't know if he was healthy all last year. I don't remember. Or if he really got – I think this year for sure he's going to get the bulk um, of the carries and, uh, you know, the out of the backfield. So, uh, we we could be talking about him being a top-five back for sure. I think Kamara as well was a great point. I think we brought that up, Uh, Nick, just his consistency – and they really don't have much else in New Orleans right now. There's yeah. no one really going to push them out. Um, so, so we'll see what happens. But um, could be really I, – I, I love – and I think this kind of goes into the greater running back conversation because these guys like Bijan John Robinson who haven't played it down and people are talking about being a top three back in the league. Crazy. Um, yeah, it, it's wild it how much turnover – Yeah, no, definitely. But even a guy like AJ Dillon, Mm -hmm. um, who is a really good back um, in Green Bay, um, who maybe if he was like, you know, it could be a Tony Pollard type situation. But there is just so much opportunity for young running backs. Um, My Steelers bias is gonna come out, and um, you know, Jalen Warren, who we signed, uh, he reminds me a lot of Austin Eckler, who was like a six round draft pick. Um, You know, could have a big year if Najee does Najee stuff and doesn't you know perform um i would love to ask the question you know is um maybe this is an easy question that leads into other conversation but is the running back position undervalued um is there more of an emphasis on finding a young cheap guy using him during his prime hoping for the best and then moving on to the next guy or is it you know investing in someone like saquon who i guess you could argue if that's even an investment if it's a one-year Um, you know, franchise tag, but what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I,
0: yeah. So I, I said this, I said this on the, (laughs) on the first recording of this. Uh, I think running backs are undervalued. I think that uh, here's what happens with running backs. Running backs make quarterbacks look better. So I use this example a lot um, when making this argument, but Daniel Jones should not have gotten paid the money he did. Daniel Jones is not a franchise quarterback. He only looks like a franchise quarterback because he has Saquon behind the back when he doesn't have Saquon, his stats drop significantly. Now, again, I think that what happens is running backs get undervalued teams instead of paying the running back, pay the quarterback. And what should happen is there should be two really. And again, take this as you see it because who am I to talk about NFL stuff, but uh, you know, I think there should be two philosophies in the in the NFL. Uh, you either have a great quarterback, invest in the great quarterback, build around him with a running back position, just like you said, Dan, pick up six rounders, find somebody that fills the role, go from there. If you don't have a great quarterback and you end up with a great running back, invest in the great running back, do what Tennessee should have done when they, and they tried it last year, but they, they should have tried it sooner, which is forego trying to find a quarterback in the free agency, trying to sign somebody to a bigger deal and just keep taking shots at young quarterbacks because you're bound to hit one as, and, and if you don't, you don't, but you, when you have a great running back, it helps the quarter. It helps that young quarterback so much that if you get even a halfway decent young quarterback, look at Dak in his first year, Dak's first year, the only reason he was so good. And the Cowboys were so good was because Zeke was in his prime and Dak was on his rookie contract. And so, you know, I feel bad for these running backs in our top ten that should be getting paid more, and they're not because they're paying the wrong guy. And I think really the I think that the person that if we want to highlight the most that's gonna that or the team that's gonna show this off the most is I believe it's gonna be the the Vikings. Uh, and I know you didn't have him in your top ten, Picho, but I do think Dalvin is still a top ten running back. Now, so yes, he has injury concern, but as you know, as a Tua fan and a Heat and a Dolphin fan. I don't care about injury history. And so I think, you know, they are going to miss having that running game and yes, Kirk cousins has good stats, you know, but I think he's kind of had a running game to lean back on. And I don't think Alexander Mattinson, if that's still who they're going to go with uh, is at the level that Dalvin's at. And so there's going to be even more weight on Kirk cousins. And I do love Kirk cousins because of just his character and who he is. And I haven't gotten to see, but if you, if you have Netflix, watch the quarterback series and here, you you know, it gives a good representation of who Kirk Cousins is as a guy. It'll make you like him a lot. And I have no gripe with him as a person. I just think on the field, he's not the level of quarterback as some of these other guys. Uh, And I think some of that's just been, been masked by the fact that he's had such a good running game. Um, And so that's how I feel about running backs. I feel like you know, there's kind of two philosophies. But if you're a great running back and you're a team with a great running back, pay the running back, find a young quarterback on a young deal, and try to win that way instead of trying to instead of giving up this running back and then taking a chance on an older quarterback. That's how I feel. Picho, how do you feel
1: about the running back position? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think run uh, running backs as they are right now are a bit undervalued. But I think that this problem is twofold, and and it's got some more systemic issues in it. Uh, so your point being that teams are paying the wrong guy uh, is right. I think. I mean, that's one of the twofold problem. Uh, teams are valuing uh, quarterbacks, I think, at an all time high right now. Not valuing running backs for the production that they bring in. But I think the the second part of this problem is uh, the miles that a running back accumulates when he is productive. Teams don't look at a running back that's been in the league eight years and a running back that has been in the league two years the same. Could even be the same guy. But they're they're not going to give an eighth-year running back the same money that they give uh, a running back coming out of his rookie contract. Or even a running back like Bijan Robinson, who's just been drafted. Because if you look at Bijan and you look at Ezekiel Elliott, there's a large difference in miles. Uh, and when I say miles, I mean like, carries and, and time spent ramming into a defensive line, getting hit hard, uh, time carrying the, the ball 90 yards to the end zone. I don't know how often Zeke did that, but the, you have this huge disparity in uh, these older running backs who, who have taken on a lot, who have been fairly productive, uh, and these younger running backs who, who haven't done a ton, but just because they have less miles on the legs... Uh, they're looked at more favorably.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it's interesting too. I I think it was Kamara that said it like, you know, you, you rush for 2000 yards, you have 10 touchdowns, you should be rewarded with a bigger contract. Yet these guys are like, Oh man, that's 2000 yards. That's a lot of, it's a lot of yards. Maybe we shouldn't pay you so much and risk losing it. I mean, I think it's fair because, you know, running backs are prone to injuries. I, I, Okay. I think it's fair for the team to assume that. I don't think it's fair for the running back. Right. Yeah. Um, because obviously the most important position, like, unfortunately like it is the quarterback. Um, and you know, you have you have less money you gotta pour into an offensive line. I mean, even at the lifespan of an offensive line, you have two knee injuries and you know, out the door. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know, it, it begs a question and I think the real the real question, um it's like Saquon he he sold out. He he took he took the one year you know another million dollars or whatever after going into the Zoom room with Eckler and Josh Jacobs and oh man like this sucks let's you know do something you know maybe we could sit out which Nick I if I remember right you said like they might do um, I
0: yeah so I said I said the only way that I feel like running backs can get power back in their hands is to sit out and when you look at the teams with the top ten running backs if their running back were to sit out the team would be significantly hurt by it. And I think that would enlighten teams to the fact that you can't just replace these running backs and when you have a good running back you should pay him. Now some of these teams have quarterbacks too, but you know, that was something I thought and then Saquon, like you said Saquon kind of sold out. He took he took a one-year deal that allows him to get franchise tagged again next year and basically go through this whole process again. Like I don't know what Saquon's agent told him, but man, he needs to fire that agent and, you know, just, you, I don't know. I, I cannot explain what he did on that one-year deal or why he took it. But, yeah. you know, good to him. He got the guaranteed money, but now, you know, he gets hurt and he's in the exact same position that he's in if he had signed the
2: franchise or just played under the franchise tag. So I have to speak up really quick because I know John Michael's listening to this episode and he's freaking out that he couldn't say anything. But I... While you said that like the top ten teams, if their running backs were hurt or like didn't play, that they would be significantly impacted, I don't necessarily believe that, and I don't think John Michael does either, my gracious (laughs) Pittsburgh-loving co-host. And I do think that like teams would play without their starting running backs, especially you know take a chance on on your second you know your second guy, especially if your offensive line is healthy. It's more of a scheme thing than one specific player. I know you don't agree, but I had to say it. Picho, what do you
1: think? So I actually have a suggestion for the NFL to fix this running back problem. And I'll throw this out there. We can talk about it. We can debate it. But I think a solution that is worthwhile is to set a base pay for for NFL running backs that all teams are going to have to agree to. So we could say, for instance, that it's going to be, league average, which is around this 4.5 to $5 million margin. Now, the problem with doing that, uh, by setting a base pay, you're letting people like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, all of these super productive running backs to not make the money that they're actually worth, uh, according to the league market. So you can't have them only earning $4.5 to $5 million. So I say that you set the base pay there, but you also add incentive-based earning to every contract. If you pass certain markers as the season goes on, you you earn more, you earn what you're worth. That way, production is directly tied to the money that you are earning. That way, you have people like Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, who, although the base pay is four and a half, five million $5 million, whatever we want to call it, they still make their money if if their uh, production is up. You're going to peach up. Oh, okay. Keep going. Yeah, Sorry. so they still make their money if their production is up and, and is around the level that they themselves are expecting. Uh, I think that also offers protection for the younger running backs who are coming off of their rookie contract because uh, now you have a base pay that is set before you that an NFL team has to agree to to bring you back for another contract year um, now the issue with making it incentive base i've thought through a couple of these problems if we make an incentive base we could look at like week 15 to 17 uh, where the cleveland browns have nick chubb on the cusp of two thousand yards don't want to pay him that extra incentive money so they sit him out under the guise of we're trying to keep people healthy for the playoffs so i say that we also set beforehand a third-party arbiter who weighs these cases and decides what that final number is. Because the NFL does have a salary cap, unlike baseball, you can structure things so that the running back position still earns the money they deserve without going over that cap because the league pays them. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, Uh, I'll be quick because, again, I know we're running a little short on time. This has gone a little bit longer than... I thought we talked more World Cup. That's on me. Um, But yeah, I mean, I like it. I think there should probably be like a, there should probably be like a range. I I like the idea, uh, you know, where there's like a range of what they should get paid and then kind of add the incentives on. Uh, And honestly, like, if we're being honest, these teams, they don't normally do stuff like that to hurt people's incentive chances. Like normally during like week 16, 17, 18, you know, you see these, these stats. It's almost like, you know, oh, this guy needs three catches and a touchdown and he gets an extra $2 million or whatever. And these, these players and the coaches even like, are like, we're going to throw the ball to him to get him that incentive. And unless, you know, unless they're playing for a division or a playoff spot, and then they have bigger things to worry about, the teams that are in those kind of positions are like, no, we're going to do what we can to get these guys their money. I mean, it's already in the contract. We can't like, you know, I I think it would almost hurt the, or it would be a bad image on the organization. And so they wouldn't want to do it. Um, sitting a guy and not giving him the incentive-based money that he could potentially earn. So I really like your fix. Um, you know, hopefully someone from the NFL is listening and considers it. But what do you think, Dan?
2: No, I think it's unique, and I think it it gives, especially like the players that you know are complaining, and I, I think it's rightly so. You know, you you have a really good year, you're not necessarily rewarded for it. I think that kind of fixes it, um, in a way, I think it's very creative, especially to bring in someone that's maybe outside of the initial like player agent owner relationship um that can kind of assess you know what's going on i think it's, it's definitely creative um and i think the league just in general i mean would benefit from something like that you know so peach i think uh, i think you should maybe email someone from the league office maybe mr
1: goodell and see if we can get that <laughs> rolling We'll see that's how- right how high i make it up that's right
0: all right that's right <laughs> all right well I think that's going to do us. I'm sure we could, we could talk more about this, um, but we're running a little short on time. Uh, you know, a couple of long episodes this week. Pichu has one last thing to say, yeah. and right then we're going to, we we're going to out
1: of this one. Right before we wrap it up on the previous episode that you guys listened to, where we talked baseball, I said the Texas Rangers were going to make a splash and I was eyeing them. They did in fact, make a splash already within the hour that we have been recording. Yep. Uh, they traded for Max Scherzer from the New York Mets, who was a team I pointed out would be blowing it all up. So um, looks like what I speak happens.
2: Oh no. <laughs> that's, that's why I freaked out whenever you were talking. Cause I saw it on my watch. I was like, Oh that's my gosh, right. he was right. <laughs>
0: that's right. Well, that's what we appreciate. This episode is going to be on Thursday. So it's going to be a couple days after the episode where you said it appears and when it actually happens. Cause today is Saturday. Um, but know that we know that you said it, Picho ahead of time. Uh, and listeners, just believe us. Picho said it first, uh, and then it happened. So we
2: have that's stamps. how we're going to leave it. Yep.
0: We have timestamps. That's right. <laughs> All right. But go ahead. Say bye, guys.
2: Right. Thank bye. you, Picho, for being on. You were awesome. Yeah, yes. Thank me.
0: you, Picho, for filling in. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah. All right. Way so, yeah. nicer than John Michael, but not as much of a Pittsburgh fan. So John Michael, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your cruise. I love you. That's
0: right. We, do. we hope you enjoyed your cruise, J.M. All right. <laughs> bye.
2: Bye, guys.